RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's my pleasure to welcome back Muriel Newman of the New Zealand Centre for Political Research website.com. And uh, it's been oh, a month or so since we last talked, Muriel. So good to have you back. I hope you're well. Yes, yes, and it's lovely to be back. Thank you for inviting me. Anytime, because we're always interested to read what is on the New Zealand Centre for Political Research uh, dot com website. And uh, going in there, I notice you are leading with a story that we've covered in the last few weeks, and that is the US Supreme Court ruling against um, affirmative action. Why are you referencing the story? It's a, not a New Zealand story. And, and I'm picking that there is a kind of a, a connection or a point you're making back to New Zealand. Why is that your lead story? It's a new development that's come out that will arguably have an impact around the world because there's countries around the world that, you know, do run affirmative action programs to advantage people they say have been unlawfully discriminated against. Now, in New Zealand, we have had some of that in the past, um, just even I looked at the um, Auckland Medical School, um, you know, the people who can get into Auckland Medical School, and there's quite a large contingent now uh, that can get in there by preference because they're Maori and Pacific Islanders. I think it's uh, over 100 places are reserved for um, those students uh, out of a total of 280, I think it is. And so, you know, there are cases where this sort of affirmative action program has been in place. But what's happened recently, of course, is that we've seen it now emerge in the new reformed health system where there is this equity indicator which uh, says that if you're uh, Maori, you will get priority treatment over someone who's not. And that is a very new development and one that uh, surgeons and doctors are throwing up their hands in horror at. And it occurred to me that, you know, this isn't something that New Zealanders were asked about. It sort of has just suddenly appeared. And so the question is, number one, why? Um, Has there been massive unlawful discrimination against Maori? I don't think so. And then number two is, you know, what are we going to do about it? Because it's something that's extremely distasteful and as they found the US Supreme Court found um, it shouldn't be there and it should be abolished and that's what they're they're doing in America and so given that it's just arrived in New Zealand you know I I think it's probably time we threw it out as well. Yeah so there's two things there first of all no one ever asks us right no one ever asks anymore that's gone (laughs) right no one asks it's just you will you will you will suck it. Okay. The other thing is that word unlawful. So, how how are people in this country? Because I believe that's in our criteria. How where is the evidence of unlawful discrimination? And what would that be if it was there? What form would that take? Well, I think first of all, um, it's important that we all are aware that the Ministry of Health has provided guidance on what constitutes a person's health. And it's actually quite revealing because what they say is that only 20% 
of someone's health is to do with medical care. 40% is to do with socioeconomic factors, and that's things like education and income. 10% by their physical environment, which of course is housing. And then 30% of what makes up your health is your lifestyle choice. That's whether you smoke or drink, get exercise, have a good diet and all those sorts of things. It's got to be more than that. Sorry, I don't buy that. You don't buy that? I don't buy that it's 30%. It's more like 60 or 80. Yeah, well, I'm just saying. I mean, what you what stuff the... in your mouth is what makes you um, healthy or unhealthy. The rest is, in fact, it's it's been shown, we talked to a naturopath a few days ago, that uh, people who have mental health issues seem to have better physical health. So, you know, who do you believe? Mm. Well, well, that that's right. But I think the, the point about that, and, and uh, you're right, you can argue over the percentages, but the point about it is that the actual medical treatment you get is simply a small part of yeah. how healthy you are. And so anyway, to, to go back to the original question, um, what what is being claimed is that the health system is, is unlawfully discriminating against somebody who is Maori. That's what the advocates are claiming who have brought this in, right? Yeah. And so presumably that would be that, you know, if you've got two people waiting for an operation, if they're Maori, the surgeons say, no, 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 we won't deal with them, we'll deal with the other one. Well, that would never happen. I can't that ever see... That would never happen in no, New Zealand. No way. And is there any evidence? No Has anyone ever said that this is what's going on? You mentioned the surgeons and the doctors before. There there are some who do think that there is discrimination. I've, I've heard a few comments, but... But you can't just say stuff. You have to show that it's actually happening. And I would fire that doctor immediately if they were doing that. Goodbye. See you later. Yeah. yeah. Well, interestingly, we had um, Dr. Laurie Knight. He he was pretty outraged when he heard uh, about, well, it was actually the reforms of the health system. That, that was way before they brought in this discrimination thing. And he, uh, because if you remember the reforms and the bringing in of the Maori Health Authority, that was all on the basis that our health system was systemically racist. And so, you know, they justified, uh, they justified bringing in the Maori Health Authority for that reason to make sure that the system did not discriminate against Maori. And he looked, he trawled through, you know, just thousands of pages of of data and information to find evidence and couldn't find a single thing. And uh, um, we have other people. We've we've got people from the New Zealand Institute who've done exactly the same. Bryce Wilkinson, he's trawled through everywhere, as has Lindsay Mitchell, who's a, a social researcher. Yeah, we've talked to and Lindsay. they've all produced yeah. papers that, that show there is no racism in the health system. And, in fact, what's been happening to Maori Health is that like everyone else's health, it's been improving over the years. So we're being gaslit. We're being misled. I think that is the reality. The wool is being pulled over our eyes. There's all these bland statements that are put. And, you know, I I was thinking when I read that Supreme Court ruling that, you know, discrimination is against the law in New Zealand. We're all protected by the Bill of Rights. And it would be very interesting to do a judicial review of the 
you know, decision to actually start discriminating on the basis of race, to bring in this equity indicator and to see how that stands up because presumably there would have to be all this evidence like we were talking about lining up to actually justify such a move and I don't think there's any of that. I think it's it's just a, been a political decision and the Prime Minister's just gone along with it and interestingly when the first program came out, the first pilot program came out, it was when Chris Hipkins was the Minister of Health and so that came out in 2020 under cover of COVID and of course no one heard about it. Even now you can't find details about it. They've kept that under wraps. All roads lead back to Christopher Hipkins actually. (laughs) They do. Mm. And not just on that, on multiple things. Okay, so um, who do you think is, is driving this? Are we talking about Pākehā um, bureaucrats who already have their medical insurance so they don't have to worry? It's ideological, and I think it's all part of the uh, Maori caucus's attempt to, to gain you know, voter support from uh, the elite of Māoridom. So I think uh, the sovereignty movement is, is right there. And, um, and that's actually led to, it was another article that I did um, a couple of weeks ago where I looked at the imbalance that's happening in this government because of the retention of the Maori seats. Now, you probably remember that um, way back when the uh, MMP was first mooted, the electoral, uh, there was a, a Royal Commission on the Electoral System that looked at all different types of voting systems for New Zealand to replace first-past-the-post, and they recommended MMP. But one of their provisos was that if you brought in MMP, then you had to abolish the Maori seat. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, because in time, it will lead to an over-representation of Maori in Parliament. Aren't we already there? We're already there. And that will lead to a whole lot of other problems. And so now we've got, what is it, it's 25% of cabinet are Maori. And um, I think the party's got like, yeah, they've got the biggest Maori caucus sort of in New Zealand history. And of course, their views are being pushed over, they're overrepresented, right? So their views are being pushed onto the rest of the country when that should never happen. If you took away the seven Maori seats, you'd probably get about the right balance of proportionality, which of course democracy is based on proportionality. Yeah. And at the moment, um, it's not. I so think, we are, hmm. you know, non-Maori are being discriminated against by the fact that the Maori seats are in, in existence. Yeah, they've got to go. They've done their time, haven't they? They really have to go now. Yeah, but we need political parties and politicians with the, the courage to actually, you well, know, promote what, that what is campaign the d- on it. Well, you, you have a bit of an insight into this. It's been a while, I know. But what is the downside of the National Party or ACT, or maybe they have said this, or even New Zealand First, uh, or whoever, saying, okay, these have done their time and uh, refer to what you've just referred to, the uh, Royal Commission um, in the run-up to MMP many years ago now, and just say, you know, it's done, sorry. What are they scared of, really? I mean, people are going to jump up and down and have a tantrum, but that's about it, isn't it? Yeah, but that's the trouble. They're scared of that. They're scared of being called a racist. They're scared of that label. And um, 
It, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. But that's what they are. They're scared of being called a racist party, racist government. Yeah, but and, we, we, you know, we know that being called a racist now really doesn't mean much. The word's been so overused. It's like, you know, the, using genocide at Posey Parker's rally. I mean, it, yeah. um, why do you think people are so scared of this? Uh, I mean, no one takes the media seriously anymore. The average person sort of switching off. They don't care, actually, it seems to me. Or have I got actually, that wrong? It, it, it's an interesting thing, Paul. You, you just wonder if, in fact, you know, the meaning of the word... You know how words change meaning over time. It's as if the meaning of the word now means needs to be switched. So if you're called a racist, it becomes a badge of honour that you've actually got the guts to speak yeah, out. Yeah, well, basically. <laughs> against things that are going on and going wrong in our country. And, um, you know, so, yeah, it, it, it's, I agree with you that it has lost its edge but there's a lot of people still afraid of it, and it's time they weren't. It's time they got their voice back. Free speech is still ours. We need to exercise it. Where are they coming from, these people? It sounds like they are using a very divisive tool just to leverage their own, well, I don't know what, gain or political power. You can't split people at the level of healthcare allocation like this. It's very dangerous, isn't it? It is. It's terrible. And yet that's exactly what they've been doing. And I think um, part of the problem is the the Maori Party are, you know, in Parliament. They're extremely radical. And so I think there's been this competitive thing going on between the Labour Maori Caucus and the Maori Party. And, um, you know, who can who can do the most? Who can who can... <laughs> Who can win the race, and and um, and so that competitive element, I think, has made them become more extreme. And it's like they don't care about the rest of New Zealand. All they care about is how many you know win notches they get on their belt. Yeah, and and, and, um, and how that translates to earning power. I'm sure, clip clip on the ticket. Yeah, but here, it, it's it's, but, it's a terrible thing because. You know, when you look at um, at Three Waters, because that's another dreadful, dreadful um, policy, and the people who are going to make all the gains from it, of course, are iwi later on when they'll be able to bring in royalties and, you know, every time you turn on your tap, you'll have to pay your local iwi some and sell money, it and know. sell it to BlackRock if if they want. Yeah, that this is right and. and and when you look at um, the tribal groups, you know, you, you've got, it's their own families from the Maori caucus. So it's sort of like it's just, it's just wrong what's been going on. So the people who benefit are relatives. And how can you be ministers in government passing laws that, about resources and services that are going to actually benefit your family? Yeah. I, I don't, just don't think that's right. I think there's something really, really wrong with what's going on, and abolishing the Maori seats would actually go some way towards restoring democracy and our faith in democracy. And isn't it uh, denigrating your own people when you make them out to be so helpless and disempowered and so oppressed that they can't even sort of advocate for their own health care? Uh, you know, I, I know it's difficult to admit that Maybe, and it's not just Maori people. All sorts of people are a little too relaxed. A lot of um, middle-aged to older men are too relaxed about their health. 
They don't sort of follow up on appointments. You've got to be proactive. I know. I've had cancer. I've had heart problems. You have got to suck it up. You have to admit that things aren't right. You have to face the music. Now, if you can't do that, it's no one else's fault, right? That's right. That is exactly right. But the other thing to be aware of, too, in in this debate is that, you know, when iwi leaders get all this money, right, you know, all the funding to go and do stuff, whether it's health or, you know, vaccinations or education programs or drug rehab or whatever it is. Stomach stapling. What's that, sorry? Stomach stapling. Yeah, that's right. The guy with the cowboy hat apparently just had one, so there you go. When when iwi when iwi leaders get all this this money for all this stuff, um, it, it only goes to a tiny proportion of the population. They only represent about ten percent of Maori. The ninety percent are probably as horrified about all these things that are going on as the rest of us. I think you're right. And so th- there's a huge disconnect. Do they stand up and talk about Maori this, Maori that, and we all think, oh right, they're representing everyone. And they're not. And that needs to be revealed as well. I think one of the other uh, pieces you have on the website is how crucial you think this election is. I've talked to quite a few people about this question. And there seems to be a consensus that this could be one of the most important general elections in the history of our country. Do you think so? Yes, yes, I do. And, you know, a main reason for this is that if... If the current government gets in in some form or another, then this agenda will be pushed further forward. They're not going to pull back on this, not not with, you know, unless the Maori seats are abolished overnight, which of course could never happen. And so they're going to have a strong contingent of very radical people pushing um, their their views and pushing their agenda. And one of the key parts of their agenda, which should put the, which should scare every New Zealander, is their plan to introduce a new constitution based on the Treaty of Waitangi. Now they can't get that in. They, if you recall, back in 2011, I think it was John Key's government held a constitutional review because the Maori Party uh, wanted one. And the the constitutional review panel was formed, an independent panel, and they allowed submissions and something like 94% from memory or around 90% of submissions were all opposed to the treaty being in a new constitution. And so the idea was uh, killed off. But now what's happened is that there are moves from a lot of academics and uh, other um, activists in powerful positions, and they're all sort of saying, you know, what we need is this treaty-based constitution. And if that happened, I tell you what, all New Zealanders who are not Maori would become second-class citizens, real second-class citizens. And it would just be, and once it would, once it changed, you'd never change it back. You'd never be able to get the power to change it back. And so I worry that if uh, Labour gets another another three years, then that will be top of their agenda and, oh um, and it will kill this country. Well, I'll be gone. If that happens, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm gone. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Uh, people who are able to will leave. There's no doubt about it. And it's not just that. It's all the other things. All, all the stuff that um, Chris Hipkins came in and, and um, ditched, you know, when he had his big bonfire of policy, 
everybody's very suspicious that they're all just sitting on the back burner. Of course they are. You <laughs> waiting you... to be resurrected. As I say, all po- all roads point back to that guy. He was there when, when New Zealanders were being abused the most. Okay? That's all we need to say about that. He was the guy. And that's the thing, isn't it? You know, when you reflect back on the last five and a half years or ne- nearly six years that they've been in power, and you think, well, you know, Number one, how do we feel? Do we feel better off today than we did back then? And the answers are resounding no. And then secondly, you know, what good have they actually done and what bad have they actually done? Because normally governments don't do too much that's bad, if you know what I mean. They might be hopeless, but they don't actually, you know, harm people. But these guys have been different. You know, the, the bad side of the ledger is huge. And the good side of the ledger, it's really difficult to find anything. The bad side of the ledger involves people dying, Muriel. Mm, I know. You know, that's as bad as it gets. (laughs) State-sponsored, you know? Well, I think the other thing is most people thought governments were benign, you know, and that they they were there to protect you and, and keep you safe from harm. And now all of a sudden we've seen, you know, another side of government and it's uh, extremely worrying. And then on top of that, when you hear of moves to try and silence free speech and, you know, they're they're looking at ways to regulate new regulations on the Internet. And I think we have to thank Jacinda Ardern for um, putting her oar in there and, um, and, you know, destroying something that has been a great gift, I think, to mankind, a free internet. And, um, you know, we're probably on the cusp of of new regulations and restrictions. And, um, yeah, and you you see all these, this damaging stuff that they do. And, and, And you say to yourself, well, how free do you feel in New Zealand? Do you feel you can go anywhere and say anything? No. And that's just not the case anymore, is it? It's not. And that's what I mean. You know, I, I never thought the fundamental security of this country would be under threat. I remember my granddad, my uncle Leo, they both came back from the war, but it was traumatic for them, so traumatic. Uh, and also the um, World War I, because I remember, I'm old enough to remember them, and World War II veterans who used to be at our local Anzac Parade, which I always used to go to, they'd be rolling in their bloody graves. Was it all for nothing? would probably be what they were saying. And that really makes me sad and quite angry. In fact, I should stop there because I could lose it going on about that <laughs> too much. But, but, no, but, but you you're, at, you're absolutely right. And, and you think to yourself, you know, normally governments and prime ministers and people like that, they like to leave a legacy, don't they? A legacy of a beneficial legacy for a country. They like to feel that they've done a good thing. And unfortunately, you know, we are, have been subjected to uh, people running this country who either had evil intent or had no clue about how to run a country, and we were saddled with them. And so it's been one disastrous decision after another with no regard, really, to the long-term consequences. And I think that is the, the worst thing, almost, that people make these decisions that affect people's lives. And they don't give a stuff what happens next. Okay, is there anything else that um, you'd like to say before we end this chat? Um, no, I, I just think that just going back to the issue about the election, you know, yep. 
I get a lot of people, because I put out a, a, a weekly newsletter, I get a lot of people, you know, asking me things or telling me things. And one of the persistent questions is, you know, who who on earth do I vote for? And and I've always reckoned that there's one question that we need to ask ourselves, and it's it's not the question that you think. It's not the question, well, who do I think will do best at running the country? It's the question about who will do the least harm. <laughs> so, you know, if you can't make up your mind, what you do is you look at the lineup and you say, because whether we like it or not, there'll be one main party and then one or more minor parties with them, right? And so it's a matter when it comes to the main party, it's which one of Labour or National will do the least harm. And I think that's the sort of, given what we've been through and the terrible, you know, consequences of, of as we said, bad government and bad decision making, then I really do think that is a question that should be top of mind if anybody doesn't know what to do. Which one will do the least harm? Give them the tick if that's what you intend to do. And, you know, I just, um, I, I really think that's where we're at now as a country. Yeah. What about just sitting it out? No, no, you shouldn't do that, no. <laughs> and, you know, when you think of all the people around the world who would give their lives, really, to be able to vote in elections and free and fair elections, well, we hope they're Are they free? Fair, Are they but, fair? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, in general, New Zealand elections have been free and fair, and so I think that we owe it you know, to democracy and freedom yep. to actually vote. I think that's really important. And so in a way, the question of who would do the least harm is the sort of question that those people will need to answer when they go into the voting booth. What we can't do, of course, is know what's in the back of their mind. Because if you remember in 2020, in the back of Labour's mind was this blinking hippopur agenda which they'd already been rolling out and had kept from Winston Peters. And that's the thing we've been living with, which is the agenda for tribal rule. Yeah. Now, they never told voters about that. And, you know, I, I've, often, I've often thought that what New Zealand actually needs, New Zealand needs two things to strengthen our democracy. One is maybe we need recall elections. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, if... If one lot gets in and then, you know, literally almost five minutes later, they start rolling out a flipping agenda that they'd obviously got planned and never told us about, we can force another election. Now, that's a big one and, and it probably wouldn't be able, you'd never be able to get that in as a, as a policy. But one that you probably could get in is this other one, which is the 90-day rule. And that says that if a government passes a law, and you can get 10% of people to support a petition to call for a referendum on that law, then they must hold a referendum. If you can do that within 90 days, they must hold a referendum, and the result of that is binding. So, for example, if Three Waters was passed by Labour, say Labour got in with the Greens and the Maori Party, and they passed uh, the next lot of Three Waters legislation, so the whole thing gets started, then within 90 days, if you could get 10% of the public to vote for a referendum, they would have to, they would have to put the uh, policy on pause, the new law on pause, and they would have to hold a referendum. And if over 50% of people say, nah, 
bad law, then it's thrown out. And I think New Zealand needs safeguards like that because what we've been through, where all the public say, hang on, that's wrong what they're doing and we're powerless to do anything about it, is just not good enough. And, and that's why this election is the most important in our lifetime, not only for all that other um, stuff about, you know, uh, the tribal rule thing, but also for the attacks on free speech and the freedom of individuals. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, if, if, if we had another three years going down this track, I don't think we would recognise ourselves at the end of it. Let's hope everybody votes sensibly and that, you know, we, we use this election to say that we're not happy with what's gone on and we do not want a continuance of it. And I think that message needs to be sent loud and clear. Muriel Newman, thank you for coming on RCR again from New Zealand Centre for Political Research. A lot to think about there. Let's see what people come back with. There'll be plenty of feedback on that, I'm sure. We'll pass it on if it's relevant. And I look forward to uh, talking again sometime soon. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.